0: One of the things that we, uh, what we do here at our congregation is not only do we uh, see the word, hear the word preached uh, through the preacher, we also come to the Lord's table and through our sacraments we see uh, the word of God uh, visibly and lived out. Um, but one of the things we do here often in our congregation is we uh, have people come and share testimonies of how the word of God is uh, literally becoming flesh in our people and how uh, God is working and taking the word and manifesting it in um, those, who, uh, those who have been touched and changed by the word so today we have uh, the joy and privilege to hear from hannah kim she just finished her fourth year in uh, college at the university of central florida so education major and will be uh, spending some time uh, another semester in teaching and then uh, the lord willing she'll be going overseas to china to continue uh, her teaching so that she can be a blessing amongst many people uh, in that country in asia who are in need of uh, the gospel in need of uh, visible Uh, examples of those who are walking the way so Hannah's gonna come and she's gonna share what uh, the Lord has done in her through a class called Harvest 201 our maturity class Uh, so she comes why don't we give her a round of applause to encourage her she shares with us
1: good morning I'm Hannah um, and this is my testimony this past semester I was juggling college courses student teaching and my job at Harbor House I heard that the semester would be the most challenging in a track from elementary education majors who've gone before me. I thought that taking Harvest 201 would completely burn me out and stretch me thin. I felt as if I would irresponsibly take too much on my plate and set myself up for failure. I was nervous about signing up to take the class. I heard previous students talk about scary things like intensive homework assignments and memorizing scripture. However, their powerful testimonies put me in a place where I didn't want to miss out. It would have been a tragedy to be robbed of all the gifts that God gave through 201. I was reminded of truth and in the habit of reading the word. This alone began to transform my mind. My thoughts were filtered from ungodly ideas, and in result, my heart could not change, help but to change as well. A lesson that resonates in my heart is from John 15:5, which says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I saw this verse many times before Harvest 201. However, this time, I learned that the hard work isn't producing fruit, but remaining in him. My effort is to remain in Christ, the vine, not bear fruit. God bears fruit. I think it's wonderful to do things for Christ and honor him through our work, but I was reminded to remember the most important part, the person we're doing these things for. I walk away from Harvest 201 committing to be thankful and faithful with what God gives me rather than seeking to gain whatever our definitions of success are. In addition to making good time for God in my days, not just the quick prayer in the car before I reach my next destination or the few minutes I have left over from an eventful day, but intentional, special time to be given to him to fall in love over and over again. Although at times I didn't want to do my harvest 2 one homework or drive across town after a long day, instead of draining me out like I thought it would, I found too one refreshing. God gave me the strength to persevere through this semester through the class. I enjoy the intimate size of our group and meeting during the week, the time that's easiest to feel weak. I stand amazed at how God flipped something I lifted up with uncertainty and turned it into something worthwhile and beautiful. As I learned in Harvest One, we are more sinful than we thought and more loved than we can dare to dream. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Hannah. Um, we are really blessed, and uh, I'm excited because this summer— Sorry for those who are over here, I'm kind of off-center, but uh, we have the, the joy uh, and blessing this summer to have um, a pastoral intern uh, who is serving for a few years across town and is here with us to just kind of uh, serve together and learn together, uh, grow together along the way. Um, Pastor Daniel Chung um, is in the tail end of his time at Reformed Theological Seminary and is um, yeah, with us for the summer, and he is going to be sharing as we continue this series on the life of Jacob and his family, on Empty, he's going to share with us the word of God. So let's uh, welcome him up as he comes to preach to us. Good morning.
2: Good morning. Good morning. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a privilege and an honor to be here and to um, you know serve along staff here and uh, you know just do life together with. Um, as DL said, we've we've been in this uh, series called Empty, and uh, we've been going through uh, Jacob's life and just uh, how jacked up he is, and, and all the you know crazy things from his birth to uh, you know uh, selling a, a pot of stew for, for his brother's birthright to um, you know just uh, running away from home because he's about to get killed. All these things, and, and we're at this point where Jacob is now coming back. Um, he's coming back um, to to, see, uh, to meet Esau for the first time in like 20 years. Um, so if you could turn to Genesis 32 um, while you're turning there. Um, I think DL's talked about this before, but um, this is an inclusio, which means um, it's, it's a two-part story. Um, it's a continuous story that breaks in the middle and it points to that that impactful you know one one point where Jacob wrestles with God but we're going to we're going to go through the story and, and we're going to skip that part i think DL's going to preach on that tomorrow or next week um sorry uh, but uh, um the the way i see it is is like a burger if you ever have a good burger um, there's that meat in the middle, but it's not only about the meat, you know. You have to have a good hamburger bun, you know. It, it has to be buttered up, put on the grill, a little bit crispy, toasted, so it's warm on the middle but crispy on the outside, you know. And then for a good medium-rare burger, the juices kind of flow to the bottom bun. You, do you know what I'm talking about? The juices, it, it, you get that little, uh, if it's medium-rare, which is the way that I like it, you get a little bit of juice and blood and grease and on that bottom bun. And we'll see as the story goes that the story of Jacob, it's soaked with this meeting uh, uh, as, as he wrestles with God. Um, so um, Genesis 32, we're going to start at verse 1. Um, actually, before we get into that, um, there's this one story about this man named Paco. Um, he was a, a man in, um, in Madrid, Spain, and he, uh, somehow he, he got kicked out of his house. Whether he got in a fight, we don't know exactly all the details. But he was, he was, he's on the streets um, away from his parents. He's, he's kind of, you know, really upset because he, he's, he got into this fight. And he's thinking about going into bullfighting or, or something that, that's, that's really crazy. Because, you know, for, for bullfighters, if you have a good mentor, you really, you really get um, you, you have a good good chance of surviving and doing all the right techniques and everything. But if you don't have a mentor, and this guy's coming from his house, he just think thinking about doing doing this. It's like suicide, you know. You know these bulls with these horns, they'll they'll kill him. And and so he's he's basically he's, he's really crazy. He's out of his mind. He's thinking about doing this this crazy thing. And so his dad knows that that he's going to do something insane. And so as a last effort, he puts he take he goes to the local newspaper and he puts in this ad and he says um, he says this Paco meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday all is forgiven love papa and so he takes out this ad the next day at noon he goes to the hotel and he sees 800 pacos because in in Spain there's uh, the, the name Paco is apparently you know really common and so all these 800 pacos lined up at this hotel seeking this forgiveness that that they haven't had, this reconciliation that they haven't had uh, with their father. And so maybe you're like this Paco. Maybe you're out, um, you know, running away from either your earthly father or your your heavenly father, um, or maybe there's someone like Paco in your life that you need to forgive and that you need to reconcile with. So we see that the biblical reconciliation is more than forgiveness, you know, it goes beyond just saying I'm sorry, or it goes more. Uh, it goes beyond just you know saying you're forgiven, but it goes into restored relationships. You know, more. It's more than forgiveness, and it goes past that to restored relationships. So Genesis 32, verse one. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met with him. When Jacob saw them, he said, "This is the camp of God." So he named, named that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the, the country of Edom. He instructed them This is what you are to say to my master Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I've been staying in Laban and have rem- remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep, goats, men servants, and maid servants. Now I'm sending this uh, message to my Lord that I might find favor in your eyes. When the, message, um, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you with 400 men, um, and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who are with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, If Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. So what, what's going on? We're going we're to... Um, take this in chunks. So 20 years have passed, and Esau is coming back to meet his brother. And um, the way that I see this, Jacob is is like that kind of, you know, frail, smaller brother who's trying to stand up to his brother, uh, to his older brother, you know. And um, he's announcing his coming. He's saying, you know, I ain't no punk. You know, I'm not running. I've been over there with Laban, and I I haven't been hiding. I'm just, I've been there the whole time, and I have these things, I, I've got, gotten all these things, um, and, and he's saying, I, I'm asking for your favor. Let's, let's just, let the past be the past, let's just let it slide, you know? And Esau comes with his posse, he's rolling deep with 400 men, you know? And, and the way that I see this interaction is, is almost like, you know how, when, you know, guys, I've seen it here with like Yaysong yes and, uh, and uh, Mark, and, or, are other people when they, when they you know they, they do this and, and they try to get the other guy to flinch so so I, I, I see this interaction between these brothers. It's kind of like that. Esau is coming with four hundred men, and, and Jacob is flipping out because he's like scared. he doesn't know what's going to happen. he's coming with these four hundred men, and his guilt and his sin is kind of catching up with him. and we see that jacob the the the, the man known as the deceiver. He, his first instinct is to plan these things. He, he's he's making this plan to to divide his group, um, divide his clan, divide his animals and everything. So if Esau comes and, and with these four hundred men and he kills off these people, then he can run away with, with the other half of of, of his family and, and flocks and all these things. So Esau, I mean uh, Jacob, he's he's just doing this. He's conniving and he's setting up these plans. Um, and we see that, that this is before that um, Jacob has, has met with God. And so when we are empty, we go back to our habitual sins. When, when Jacob is empty and he's scared and he's fe- feeling his sin catching up to, with him, he goes back to what he knows best. He goes back to deceiving. He goes back to scheming. He goes back to, to doing what he is used to. And, and this sin... It is usually what we go back to as well, you know. It, if we're used to being prideful, then we we go and seek the the the, the um, you know the the compliments of others when when we're feeling down. If we if we're used to being angry, then we find someone else to blame, and we we lash out at them. Um, if we're if we're you know uh, if we believe in the lies of the enemy that that we're we're you know, unworthy or not good enough, uh, then, then we, we go back to our own depression. You see, when, when we are empty, our emptiness drives us back to sin. It drives us back to our habitual sins. And um, this past youth retreat, uh, Pastor KJ said this really profound thing. He, he said, you know, a lot of us, we're, we're afraid to make commitments. We're afraid to make commitments because we break our commitments with God all the time. But... Pastor Cage was saying, you know, make thousands of commitments. Make thousands of commitments. And because each time we make that commitment, to the time we break it, we grow in between those times. We grow and we stretch. And, and you know, we – so go and, and make these commitments. Make these commitments daily. Think about how we would change if we woke up every day and, and we made a new commitment to God. God, today I'm going to live for you. God, today I'm going to be in your word. God, today I'm going to pray for these people. And pray for these things. Um, D.L. told me about this song by Carolyn Arends. It's, it's called New Year's Day. Um, and this is kind of the chorus. It says, this will be my resolution. Every day is New Year's Day. This could start a revolution. Every day is New Year's Day. One more chance to start all over. One more chance to change and grow. One more chance to grab a hold of grace and never let it go. This will be my resolution. Every day is New Year's Day. This will be my resolution. Every day is New Year's Day. Think about how much of an impact we can make if every day we woke up with this new resolution, with this new commitment to God, and saying, God, I will live for you. I'll live in this way. Let's not let our emptiness drive us to sin. But as we as we feel this emptiness, let, let's, let's help it, make it, uh, a, a commitment, make a commitment towards God. Um, we see that um, as, as we continue in verse 9, that Jacob gets desperate. Um, then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown to your servant I had only my staff, and when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, um, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 220 uh, and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servant, each herd by itself, and he said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one... Uh, in the lead when my brother meets you and asks to whom do you belong and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you then you are to say they belong to your servant Jacob they're a gift uh, sent to my lord Esau and he is coming behind us he also instructed the second and the third and all those who followed the herds you are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him and be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I'm sending ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. We see here that um, you know Jacob, he's, he finds himself in a place of desperation. He knows that he, there's nothing he can do. To to outrun these four hundred men that Esau is coming with, he looks at his circumstances, and, and he's he's in the pits. You know, he's at the, at that point where he's desperate for God, and that is the point where you know that desperation drives him to God. Um, that desperation drives us to God. You know, after planning all these things, you know, um, you know, he's asking for God's mercy. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, there have been a, a lot of low points in my life, and, and those seem to be the times when I'm seeking God the most. Um, in fact, one of the points when when I was coming here to Florida for for seminary, I had all my stuff packed up, and um, I was in the back of the car, and we were driving on I-10 from California all the way, you know, down to Florida, and we were almost here. I think we were either in Louisiana or or just crossing Florida, um, and Three lanes were kind of merging into one. There's there's a cop up up ahead, and this van, white van, just cuts me off, um, real suddenly and breaks. And to to avoid it, I, I swerved left, and then I jerked my wheel right, and and it's going, you know, it's crazy. All of a sudden, I'm doing a 360, like in one lane. I don't know how this happened. Um, so like one second, I was dodging the truck. The next thing I see is I'm facing the truck and I'm thinking I'm dead. And then we're, we're spinning around and we end up like maybe four feet from a, a, a light post. And I'm thinking the whole time I'm thinking, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God help me, oh God. Um, and and uh, I'm thinking, God, I'm going to, to serve you. I'm going to seminary. Please don't let me end my life like this. You know, um, it, it was crazy. But at that time of desperation, the only thought that came to my head is oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, you know God help me, God help me, in my desperation um, a couple some of you guys know uh, a few months back back in November, october um my my grandmother passed away and, and she wasn't a believer, and I don't, uh, that was another time where i I had no control over the situation, but all I could do was pray, be desperately praying for her. And it seems that, you know, God places us in these times of desperation. God places us in these times uh, of hardship and trials so that we turn to him, so that we we, we trust in him, so that we, we see that he is faithful. Um, we, we, um, we need, we, we, he loves us so much that, that he, he puts us in those situations. Um, A lot of times we also ask why, you know, why? Um, and, and we see that, that, that in this time, Jacob is turning. Jacob is, is, is um, changing and, and he, he is being loved by God. Jacob, Jacob is being, basically he's, if you see, see the, the, the Hebrew text, he's being forced by God to turn to him. He's being forced by God um, to, 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 to lean upon him. And yet, even as Jacob is calling out to God, even as Jacob is, is, is crying out for mercy, he's still planning. He's still doing all these things. He's still holding on to his sinfulness. And a lot of times that's what we do. We say, God, I, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you my life. I'll live for you in this way, but let me have this one little sin here. Let me, let me keep this part of my life. God, I'll, I'll give my whole life for you, but I need a job that makes this much money. Uh, God, I'll I'll live my my uh, I'll give my career for you, but God, I I need to I need to uh, have this type of house or or this type of family, or God, I will serve you, I'll go to summer missions, but help me get straight A's in, in, in this point in, in this time. Um, you know, whatever it is that we hold on to so tightly that we don't want to let go of, um, that that's the, Jacob. That that's what we see in Jacob's life, and, and we see that as. Uh, as a forefather of Christianity, and we see it in our own lives, you know that that even though this desperation drives us to God, you know even Jacob fails in, in this, and we want to be a people who are desperate for God, not because we're in the dumps or we're forced to be, but we want to each day make make this declaration, um, you know, before God puts us in this place where we're desperate. Um. You know, that God loves us so much that he would break us down and, and, and uh, you know, tear down even our lives uh, to the point where we are so desperate for him to turn to him and to love on him uh, and to trust in him. And in fact, next week, uh, Dio will talk about, you know, how Jacob wrestles with God and he's permanently physically injured. He comes out with a limp and he's permanently physically injured, but he comes out a spiritual, spiritually new man. Um, so if you would skip to chapter 33 with me, 33, and the story continues, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and their children next, Rachel and Joseph uh, in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau met, uh, Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. When Esau looked up and saw the woman and children, who are these with you, he asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given to your servant. Then the maid servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, what do you mean by all these droves I met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, I, have already, uh, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me for to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably, please accept this present, accept the present that um, was brought to you for God has been gracious to me and I have uh, all that I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted. A um, couple weeks back, I don't know if any of you guys know about this movie, but I was watching a movie with Timo. Um, we watched uh, "Best of the Best." Um, it's an old movie, back from the '90s. Uh, great movie about martial arts. You know, uh, U.S. the U.S. picks like five of their best fighters, and then Korea picks five of their best fighters, and and, and they're going at it at this tournament. Um, and the main character is this this guy Tommy Lee. Um, he's he he's uh, the, 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 the catch to the story is he's fighting this guy dehan uh, his, his name's Tehan, and, and he's this guy with you know fierce looking guy with a patch on his eye and um he the the thing is earlier um he dehan killed tommy's older brother in a tournament you know and, and this is kind of like a tournament where anything goes and and so like um you know he this guy killed his older brother and so he's Living with this kind of fear, and, and, and he's fight, he's about to fight this guy, um, and of course the U.S. are losing, and, and and it gets to this one climax where you know Tommy and Tehan are fa- facing off, and USA is losing by a lot, and um, Tommy needs to knock out this guy for for them for the U.S. to win, and um, he he injures Tehan, and, and he's he's about to get in in, in his you know his his killer instincts, and, and he. He, you know that his killer instinct is coming when he does this little foot thing. Uh, I don't know if you guys see it, but but he he gets into the stance, and then you know that back roundhouse kick is coming, and, and and he's about to kill him, knock him out, and he's done, you know. And then you see James Earl Jones saying, "No," and you see like all this cheesy like like you know the whole USA team's there like "No," and and um and Basically, there's like five seconds left and the time runs out and he's just sitting there, and he's standing there in his stands. Um, and, and Tehan just collapses. He was like so injured, he couldn't do anything. Um, and then the medal ceremony comes up and, and Tehan, uh gets his gold medal or whatever and he limps over to, to Tommy Lee and he says this, um, to save a life in defeat is to earn victory and honor within. Your brother too, Was a great fighter. I deeply regret your loss, and I offer myself as your brother. And back in the nineties, when I saw that, I was like crying and oh my goodness, how can there be such uh, forgiveness? Um, But but uh, the the point is, forgiveness drives us to reconciliation. We see that Dan didn't just give him uh, or say you know take his gold and do whatever. He says, "I offer myself as as your brother now." Um, and we see this with Jacob as well. In this in this passage, we see um, Jacob. He's not just going. Uh, you know, he's changed. He he met with God, so we skip that part where he meets with God. But what we see his attitude kind of changing. He's not you know he's not combative or, or trying to show up his brother. But he comes saying, "My Lord," bowing down seven times, giving him the honor. And, and a lot of scholars say that when he's offering these gifts the the blessings that God has blessed him with, He is actually offering back to Esau the first rights that he stole from him. So it's not just like saying, oh, let's just let it slide and, and the past is the past. But he's making up for it. He's going above and beyond and, and giving up, you know, all his wealth and and these things that that he stole from Esau. Um and the you know the 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 climax of this, this point where where Esau runs to Jacob, throws uh, his his arms around him um, you know around his neck, and kisses him. This should remind us uh, uh, of of another story of the prodigal son you know where where the father runs out you know how embarrassing it is to to really run in those days you know because they have to lift up all their skirt and you know and, and their skirts or whatever you know their robes and, and just run out to them, but it, it was embarrassing for a, a grown man to 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 run in those days, but he runs out he embraces him um, and and he shows this type of love to him and we see uh, we see just just the, the 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 type of forgiveness that it's more than just this um, hey I, I'm here now, um, you know let's live our own separate lives but it's a reconciliation of the relationship. When um, we see kind of, uh, again, the drippage uh, of him, him meeting with God, um, and then we see, that we see it in his response. If, if you see the response of Esau, Esau never, never mentions God at all. You know, in his response, but but Jacob now, after he's met with God, he says, you know, God has blessed me with these things. God has given me these things, and, and this is the faith that that grows within him. And this is what we see. Um, you know, uh, he, he's he's really giving himself. He's really uh, offering, you know, all, all these these things. And, and he and he says, you know, I see the face of God in Esau, even though Esau is is basically you know he he's the we said that that um, there are two nations um, you know one who follows God basically Jacob who who has faith in God and Esau who doesn't um, but even though you know Esau is is not that type of believer that strong in his faith we see that that Jacob from his perception he sees God he sees um, he sees how uh, how God has been merciful to him. See, because when Jacob wrestles with God um, prior to, um, he he lives, he sees the face of God and he lives. And he sees sees the face of his brother, the one who he uh, abandoned, the one who he ran away from, the one who he stole all the stuff. And to him, in his eyes, he should be dead. Esau should have Esau killed him. Um, he should have been murdered. But the... the this type of mercy that he feels, this type of mercy that he sees, um, that instead of being killed, he, he he's reconciled. Um, in in November 2002, there was this man, uh, Nathaniel Jones, who was killed um, just at a gas station. He was unloading his uh, filling up gas at his truck. Uh, Fifteen young, or, or these five. 15-year-olds and 14-year-olds went and murdered him. They, they they jumped him. They taped him up with duct tape. Um, they, they put duct tape on his mouth, and they beat him with pipes until, he, um, until his heart stopped beating, basically. And they did all of that just for his wallet, just so they could get some money. These 15-, 14-year-old thugs um, beat this man. Um, the night before that, Nathaniel Jones was... At the NBA draft par- or, or the college draft, um, at where Chris Paul, his grandson, was um, was committing to Wake Forest, and, and to to know their relationship, um, Chris Paul said, you know, his grandfather was was the world to him. He was his best friend. You know, he was the one that he he went to, um, and, and uh, you know, he was the first one to congratulate him and and, and all these things. Um, but to you know, that 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 very next day, you know, he he was dead. He was murdered viciously. And Chris Paul says uh, in in this interview with with ESPN that at that time he was glad. He was glad that they got life sentences. Some, some of them got life sentences. Some of them got fourteen, fifteen years in jail. Um, but recently, uh, this was April two thousand and eleven. This article came, comes out, and he says, you know. Now, at this point, I, I, for- I want to – I wish I could just talk to them. I wish I could talk to these-, these guys who are a couple years younger than me, who didn't really know what they are doing, uh, and-, and just say that they are forgiven. Say that, that you know, I-, I wish that I could even take them, you know, get them out of jail. Uh, some of them, I think the – some of them have, like, maybe six more years or-, or something like that. And Chris Paul has been working with the defense attorneys to get this uh, appealed um, he 's been working with um, you know the the defendants and, and he 's been you know going above and beyond just forgiveness he 's going after them he 's pursuing after them and trying to build this relationship with them. These people who murdered his, his grandfather and, and who was um, you know who brought him so much pain um, he 's going after and he 's pursuing and he 's reconciling with um, and it reminds us of, of kind of ourselves. You know, we, we, we know a God who has gone to such lengths to reconcile our relationship with him. We know a God who has loved us in such a deeper and greater way. He's given up, you know, his one and only son for us. He's forgiven us when, when we were enemies you know, he he gave his son for us when we were sinners, when we were against God. He's given himself for us. Um, if you could just uh, bow your heads with me as we kind of reflect on on this, um, this truth. I don't know if Chris Paul was a is a Christian or not, but we do see the forgiveness of God in him. We do see a glimpse of God in him. Um, But we see a God that pursues. We see a God that gave his life. We see a God that does more than forgive, but really restores our relationship back with him. We see a God who calls us sons and daughters. Maybe it's time for us to go back to the Father. Time for us to see the death of forgiveness that we've been shown. Or maybe... In light of the depth of our forgiveness, in light of how much forgiveness we've been shown, maybe there's someone in our lives that we need to forgive. just want to press us to pray a little more. Maybe there's some emptiness in our hearts that we're looking to fill with earthly things. With a a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Money, our family, but we'll always come up short. And instead of this emptiness leading us to sin, we want this emptiness to drive us to desperation for God. Given. And it drives us to this reconciliation. Gives us this sonship. Calls us sons and daughters at the cost of His one and only Son. If we've been filled by this type of forgiveness. Then I pray that we overflow with this type of forgiveness to others. Whether it may be grudges, differences between friends or family, and that this compassion and heart of God would flow to others outside just this church, outside of just Orlando, or Florida, but to the ends of the earth, that we would seek out his lost Heavenly Father, we thank you for your sacrifice for your son and for we thank you for everything that you've done for us, God. We thank you that you love us so much that you drive us to places of desperation. so that we can turn back to you, God. We pray, God, that as we fill our empty hearts, God, with you, with more of you, that you would help us to see, to feel, to realize this forgiveness that goes beyond just forgiveness, but restores our rightful relationship with you as, as your sons and daughters, and for you as our heavenly Father. We thank you, God. And we pray all this in your son's
0: holy and precious name.